0: podcast is part of the sports social podcast network hello and welcome back to the west ham breakdown it's going crazy crazy well at west ham at the moment Uh, i i think i think we were top of the league for a little bit we're not top of the league anymore but i'm not sure that i would have expected the start of the season to go quite this well we talked about how much luton would kind of be an indicator for the for this season and where we can expect to finish um so Cal joins me as usual and how would you say after that game you feel about our season prospects?
1: Um still positive very positive I think yeah like you said we said it was going to be a bit of a litmus test with regards to how we can fare against sides that are not going to come at us as, as aggressively as a as a Brighton um and I think Obviously, we came away with the three points. I think we were helped by a bit of fortunate, um, well, unfortunate goalkeeping for Luton, fortunate for us. Um, And there was definitely a few hairy moments where I think we probably could have conceded as well. Obviously, the penalty shout too. Um, So I think there was definitely an element of fortune, but I think all things considered, we were pretty comfortable in control of the game. Um, We'll come on to some of the issues that we that we think we picked out despite us dominating possession um but yeah I think it was a it was a fine performance against um a pretty not solid low block but they certainly made it difficult for us um they weren't they weren't pushovers by any stretch um and I think we kind of anticipated that we probably would struggle to break them down and and ultimately we ended up coming away with the three points so you can't really complain too much but um but that's what we're here to do so <laughs> <laughs>
0: We're not going to complain the whole episode. I think we're going to talk about some of the positives too. I, I hope we are. That's my plan. Um, I suppose one of the things I'll, sh- I'll shoot with straight away, because I, let's bring us on to the positives after that wonderful intro from Cal, is, um, I think having watched the way that we played, when forced to have the ball for long periods in previous seasons under David Moyes, I would say that this was quite pleasing from us from the perspective of how we managed to maintain control of periods of the game. I thought we made some really nice decisions at times uh, to not allow the the game to go quite back and forth or there were no real kind of basketball style periods of the match. I felt like we exerted good control. We didn't as well also do the the sometimes classic David Moyes thing of trying to force the ball forward at, at any cost as, as quickly as possible. Um and that made the game feel perhaps more comfortable than it than we're used to at West Ham. And in some ways it, it I almost feel like, you know, I've seen the game twice, it almost makes it a little bit hard to watch because, I, you know, I'm so trained to watch David Moyes now. I'm watching this one and I'm thinking, they're just sort of passing the ball around the back four. That's not, I'm not used to that. <laughs> not not used to really how to, like, how to analyse a West Ham, a David Moyes West Ham team doing that. Um But I suppose one of the key things that we can immediately jump onto to talk about how how we functioned in this match and how we were able to keep some control of the game is a midfield that contains Lucas Paqueta, James Ward-Prowse and Edson Alvarez and performed really quite well?
1: Yeah, yeah, I was really impressed. Um, I think Alvarez in particular stood out. I think we've sang his praises in the previous episodes so far this season, largely on account of his defensive contributions and his sort of, the, the way he sort of steadied that ship and allows us to go between a sort of back five and a back four. But I thought, in this game, I was really impressed in his contributions in possession. I thought his combinative play in, in the middle was really impressive. I think the goal was obviously a clear example of that. And I think it was two or three quick one-twos that kind of just progressed us up the pitch through central channels, which is somewhere that we've historically struggled under Moyes to progress. Everything tends to go down the flanks. And we're going to talk about wide combination play in a bit. But I think for us to even just have that option especially so early on as this midfield is still sort of gelling and getting used to each other and getting used to each other's movements and sort of passing angles etc I think it was really nice to just sort of see us try something a little bit different just you know what instead of going out wide we're just going to go straight through the middle and get to the final third and then obviously you rely on the brilliance of Paketur and that that brilliant ball into the box and um uh decent header i'm not gonna say it was great because i think kaminsky probably helped us out a lot um but yeah it was really good and i think yeah there's there's many benefits to alvarez but i think that's the side of the game that maybe i didn't expect to see compared to other parts i was very confident that defensively he would at least be extremely aggressive and and um and a big net positive in that respect but i certainly wasn't expecting at least this early on to see him combining with Paquetta and Ward-Prowse so far up the pitch um, and getting a number of shots off as well. I think to see the defensive midfielder get so advanced without really at any point feeling like he was shirking his defensive responsibilities or getting caught out of possession particularly often. Um, yeah, it, it was it was a really nice performance and, and really promising moving forward as well.
0: Let's talk about him. I can't wait to talk about him. I've been looking forward <laughs> to this for a few days. James Ward-Prowse. Yeah. I need to sort of step back a bit here and go, you know, David Moy's talking about Premier League players, British players, they know the league. They you know, we're gonna turn into the Tippy Tappy football podcast hosted by <laughs> Tim Sherwood <laughs> in Allardyce's absence. But um maybe he was right.
1: <laughs> maybe he was right. Yeah. I mean, press looks just great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's um I think we I think we said on the last episode like we we expected him to be decent but we didn't expect him to come in and really a hit the ground running as quickly as he had. He's maintained that form of a goal contribution in every Premier League appearance so far, um which is unbelievable, but I think just the full package to just come in and deliver on all fronts. I think I had him down as having 14 ball recoveries against Luton in a game where we had 64% possession, six of which were in the opposition half and I think having him I think we were a bit curious as to A, how the balance of the midfield would work. And, and now I'm, I'm very much on board with the fact that we've kind of worked that out and and it looks solid. And I think there's a real strength in having, particularly in these games where we're trying to just retain possession in the opposition half, a real strength of having ward as part of your attacking press as like your most advanced midfielder and having come from a Southampton side that was obviously coached by Hasenhuttle for such a long time to varying degrees of success he is obviously a very competent presser out of possession and having that ability to counter press so much more effectively particularly against these sides that are, that are comfortable sitting in deep and trying to hit us on the break having that player who can force those turnovers recycle possession and let us build another attack is going to be a real real benefit and something that i don't think we've had at least not to this extent and there's probably the absence of a player like that has been part of the reasons we've struggled so much against these low block teams um and yeah i think long, long may it continue and that's just one facet of the game um but one that i don't think we've highlighted especially so far
0: yeah, I mean, the ball goes loose and look who it is again. It's James Ward-Prowse. That just seems <laughs> to be the the, the the case every time I watch a West Ham game back so far this season. It's like, oh, there he goes again. <laughs> and possibly the best thing about it is that his decision making on those turnovers has been sensational yeah. so far this season. Just Absolutely brilliant. Knows when to slow it down and, and turn out and play back into the defenders, get some control back. But then also there was a moment in, in the looting game where he just raced onto a onto a loose ball and hit pinged one off the outside yeah. of his right foot down the left flank. I was like, oh my God, who is this guy? <laughs> yeah. You know, I knew he was good, but I didn't know he was this good. You know, he's doing all the important stuff to connect between those two other players in the midfield, because with Alvarez, you've got someone who's providing all of that defensive solidity and actually impressing us with regards to what he's doing progressively in there as well. Good in the air, all the key things that you want your DM to be good at at West Ham. And then you've got Pacata who's providing all of that additional output going forwards actually been incredibly impressive defensively as well so far this season I don't know you know huge step up from him from what we saw last season in terms of in those moments you know you spoke about Alvarez being quite aggressive and and sometimes having a little bit of positional indiscipline when he's playing as the deepest midfielder a couple of times in the Luton game he races out to press something gets a little bit overexcited and Paketa actually is the guy on two or three occasions who sees that and drops into the gap and wins a tackle and gets us moving back the other way. So it's not just that, you know, it's easy when you're looking at this midfield three to say, oh yeah, and Packard is the guy who does all the creative stuff in the final third. He's actually added a, a lot more on on top of that so yeah. far this season.
1: I thought but, it was quite, I'm sorry, I just, I, I really didn't think before the game that we'd come away with Lucas Paquitar engaging in and winning a higher percentage of his defensive duels than Edson Alvarez. Exactly. Yeah. It's crazy. 75% success in defensive duels in midfield. Insane.
0: Yeah. So look, super impressive defensively from him as well, but he's, he of the three, he's the guy who's going to play that, that unlock- unlocking sort of role in the, in, in the final third. And also the guy that's probably going to be progressive at the cost of retention. You know, he's the guy that's going to take yeah. risks really regularly in possession. Um, and to have Ward-Prowse in there is a really steadying influence as someone who's just so reliable at making the right decisions in possession, being good at nit- nipping onto loose balls out of possession. And then also, actually, you know, we talked about How does it work with with Prowse and the team when you take Suchek out? Because, you know, how does Suchek fit into this group? And there's going to be lots of games where you'd probably prefer to have this three, regardless of whether Suchek is fit or not. You'd probably prefer... In fact, exactly against this kind of opposition like Luton, you prefer to have Alvarez, uh, Packeter, and and Ward-Prowse. How does it work once you lose Suchet? Because surely Ward-Prowse is going to contribute all of these open play crosses on top of what he does from set pieces. And actually what we've seen is he makes really nice forward runs as well. He, He can break into the box, create space for others. And we talk about open play crosses, someone that we're going to come on to talking about later in the pod. He plays a lovely low cutback for Saïd Ben-Rama, who should have scored in this game. So it's not just about whipping the ball in from low percentage positions to try and get a big man in between the centre back and the full back to, to score. It's also, there are other ways that we can create with him in the team. And it's maybe making those runs down the side of a centre back or when Bowen's out wide, making that run beyond um, into a central area where he can get towards the byline and pull the ball back. He's just added a... An, a huge amount to, to the team in such a short space of time and one of the the the, the, the crucial things and most obvious things and you know bring it down to to really simple stuff is actually one nil lead in a game being able to add that second goal when you're a team that has maybe some issues <laughs> with scarcity of chances you know not creating a huge amount particularly against low blocks being able to rely on someone's set piece um ability is so useful to us. And actually, it wins us the points in this game because I'm not surprised Luton eventually got a goal. Um, I think we all felt coming into this one that it was a bit of a banana skin and it, they would be really tough to play against in their first game at Kenil- Kenilworth Road. And without War prowse and, and that corner, um, we would have been looking at what would have probably been quite a frustrating draw. And probably we would have been talking a lot about what we're going to come on to next, which is wide combinations to build up. <laughs> and kind of only wide combinations to build up. I mean, you spoke about the goal, so fair enough. Yes, we did score the moment we went through the centre and Alvarez plays a couple of one-twos and then Packer oh, look, all that room in the half-space, where's that come from? Um, but it is a bit of a problem, isn't it? It's kind of, it's only out wide at all times. and um, And one of the things that I think people have been asking about this week after the game is, again with a Moyes team it's not only out wide it's kind of only out left (laughs) yeah um so yeah how do you feel about that carl
1: um well it's it's unsurprising isn't it i think it's we've been here before it's it's cresswell and rice it's it's pakita and emerson it's it's the same same vibe but um yeah i think it's it's right to point it out um i think of the five highest passing combinations between our players four of them involved Emerson or Sifal um the the highest one being between Emerson and Paketar uh, and then the one that wasn't involved in one of the fullbacks was Zuma and Agurd so so that's basically Zuma passing to Agurd to pass it to Emerson so um it's it is very much very much all down that channel um I think the one thing I will say is as, as compared to when it was Cresswell I think it's a bit of a it's a bit of a different dynamic i think from from what i've seen in the sense that cresswell unlike emerson was far particularly later into the into his west ham career was far less capable of bombing forward and and receiving the ball higher up the pitch um and i think with the addition of alvarez now as well who can split the center backs it does give emerson a lot more license to get forward so i think that left-hand combination is probably slightly more threatening than it was towards the end of cresswell's I don't know. Established stint as a first team left back um, because I think Cresswell's function was essentially to be the sort of quarterback-like player in that sort of deep left pocket. Whereas Emerson, now that Alvarez is dropping in and allowing a good to push out and be essentially what Cresswell was in that in that function, um, it does mean that we can commit more men forward. And I think Emerson in the final third is looking increasingly threatening. I think he was unfortunate with the with the goal disallowed as well because I think. Antonio whilst yes he was offside he didn't actually benefit from being offside because he kind of just played it he all of the play went backwards from there so it wasn't really one of those offsides where we actually gained from it um, which was frustrating and I think yeah I think that's the one difference that I've enjoyed seeing in this sort of tweaked left hand particularly down the left hand side combination is Emerson's box threat i think he's he's really quite often looking to get into that box either as a late arrival from across from the right hand side uh, or as onto the end of a three ball where he can sort of lash it in um and i think it, this isn't the first time we've seen that either we've seen it happen in previous games as well and i think that's a real positive particularly when you have someone like ben rama who's not as keen to get to the byline and and prefers to operate in the half space i think that overlapping threat is a massive bonus and something that I was actually wanting us to look for in the transfer market and arguably I still would have preferred us to go and get someone who can get to that byline but I have been quietly impressed with Emerson and, and the ability that he's shown in getting into that final third and causing problems so I think that's good I think on the other side the right-hand side I was slightly more maybe not disappointed I think Siobhan had a decent game defensively but I think we are far less threatening in terms of creation down the right hand side I think Bowen obviously is Bowen um and he's in absolutely unbelievable form, but I think all of that is—it's some because he's so keen to get into those central areas. It sometimes stifles what we can actually do down the right-hand side in terms of overlapping threat or building up down there. Because I think we're trying to drag everyone over there to create the space for Bowen to hit, but it kind of makes us a bit of a one-trick pony at times. And I think we—we we are. I mean, obviously, like I said, trying not to be too negative, but if we continue to everything down the left-hand side and the right still struggles and centrally we're not doing a lot we do end up venturing into the realm of where we kind of were when it all started to go a bit wrong where it's very predictable how West Ham are going to build up so it's much easier for us to be shut down and the effectiveness particularly against these sorts of teams um, is going to be decreased like massively because it's just such an easy game plan to just go right well trigger press on them don't let them build up down the left then we don't know what to do anymore so I think At this stage in the season, it's not too much of a concern, Um, but I think it has the potential to become one if we don't kind of diversify our build-up.
0: Yeah, I think just a couple of things on that. I think when you look at the relationship that was initially there between Cresswell and Rice, it was almost, you know, Rice much more a carrier and Cresswell more a distributor. And now that feels almost flipped. You've got Emerson, someone who carries relentlessly at left-back, and then Packeter as someone who's playing dangerous passes um, that break lines from a more central position and actually even down to the goal you know being able to cross from the half space it yeah. reminds me of that dynamic totally just flipped the other way um the, the other way around um and and well said in terms of left right balance because i think when you look at the second half it's it's quite clear that we struggled a lot more to build up down the left. I think Luton may have engaged. It's difficult because I've watched the game twice and I haven't really looked for it specifically. Um, but I think Luton engaged more aggressively on that side in the second half than they had done in, in, in the first half. And that's when you start to see the dynamic that you were talking about, where it becomes maybe more worrisome because teams can engage really aggressively on the right side of their defense, force the ball across into that Su Foul. Bowen area where it's much more difficult for us to to achieve the same kind of quick passing combinations that we have on the left where we constantly seem to be able to find space um, to advance play Um, and I think part of that is you know you can't take Bowen out of the team because he scores goals but against low blocks you know if this is teams mad to be saying because it's not where I expected us to be this season but if you're looking at like one area where there's maybe a little bit of weakness in terms of having control and being able to build up and being effective on both sides it's that Soufal probably doesn't have enough going forward isn't confident enough on the ball there's a fantastic moment in the game where he tried to play um, a progressive pass got intercepted came back to him and he just lumped it like first touch under no pressure just lumped it into the air which kind of sums up how easy he is to press and then Bowen doesn't really have the same attributes as someone like Saeed Benrahma on the left even though Benrahma frustrated so much in this game he does offer a lot in terms of being able to combine with Emerson and Paqueta playing really quick passes he receives at a much higher rate than than Bowen does unsurprisingly because we play down the left so much but his availability is willingness to constantly take the ball and then dribble inside or dribble past someone or dribble and stop a defender which creates the space to then play back all of these things um, that happen on the left that we don't really recreate on the right. Um are maybe going to be questions going forward, like you say, against teams that want to sit in against us. Um, I suppose all I will say, and it's something that I mentioned on on um Hamalytics with Chat with Charlie, um, is that this is this is typical David Moyes, no? You know, this is this was the dynamic before at Everton. Um Baines, Tony Hibbert, no, it's like it's not <laughs> is, that, is that not the the thing that's going on, is that you've got that dynamic threat on the left and it maybe just a more kind of yeah solid six out of ten minimum seven out of ten most weeks going to do all the defensive stuff fine on the right um and i suppose we have to accept to some de- degree where west ham there's going to be limitations in the team somewhere no like it's not we're not going to have the perfect team to be able to be multi-dimensional and do the low block thing as its maximum level and then be able to field an 11 that can go and take on a team like Luton defending in a low block at that maximum level there either is that is that fair to say
1: yeah I think so um I think yeah the the similarities between the Everton West Ham sides are crazy I think we've spoken about them before um but it is hilarious to just (laughs) you you can literally pick a player and go oh yeah that's the West Ham version of him or that's the Everton version of him and it's quite funny but yeah I think yeah we can't expect too much um I wonder if there's a world in which, and I think obviously we'll start to see him integrated a bit more, but if Mohamed Kudus out on that side provides something different to what Bowen provides in the sense that I think from what I've seen of Kudus, he's far more comfortable or willing to take on his man and and drive towards the goal, whereas Bowen's constantly looking to drift into those pockets of space so that he can receive and shoot. Um, Kudus can do that as well, but I think creatively and sort of his ability to, like I say, beat his man and drive to the byline um, could add a new dynamic. Um, Maybe you play Bowen through the middle as well in games like this. I I don't know how you felt about Antonio's performance. Um, Obviously, we know he's incredible at pinning centre-backs, but I think link-up-wise, if you're trying to recycle the ball a bit more fluidity where you've got a good as Bowen... Mm, Benron, mm-hmm, maybe uh, <laughs> all rotating and sort of occupying the same spaces and giving the defenders a little bit more to worry about than kind of having everyone in their defined positions it's a bit more predictable it was just a just a thought I, I do think Antonio had I mean his hold-up play is always uh, good but bad touch I think it's probably a good way to do it <laughs> physical but technical no uh, yeah um, but I think he's like we like we know he's not he is not as suited to these games as he is to those sort of Counter-attacking games where he's the outlet and he can use all of his physical strength, etc. Um, he we're still provided
0: a platform, though. You know, like I think he still provided a good platform for us in this game, and he was kind of unfortunate to not get a great assist for for, for Bowen as well, who yeah. who made his run slightly early. I do think what you were suggesting is a dynamic we could end up seeing at at some point this season a little bit more. Antonio just cannot be asked to play every single game in the league in two cup competitions. And then in Europe, so three cup competitions, um, it's just unrealistic. And and actually the drop off when Danny Ings comes into the side, whether it's for five minutes or a full game, is just so, so unbelievably marked. Um, that yeah i i find it hard to to see i i don't find it hard to see ings racking up a lot of game time but yeah. I, I i will find it hard personally to watch ings racking up all that, <laughs> uh game time so i would prefer to imagine a world in which maybe we will see jab and um, get some time up front potentially and, and could us come in on the right for some games or a relationship where you know They can really swap quite a lot in games, Kudus and Bowen, because both are capable of playing that that role through the middle and both really strong on the right as well. And that could be a new dynamic to add to the right side that makes us a little bit more multidimensional rather than this left-heavy stuff. Having Kudus and Bowen in the same team, you've got that kind of rotation between those two players both like coming out to the right side and then drifting in, but both comfortable operating in central areas too as more of a central striker. There were even moments in the Luton game where you see Bowen through the middle and Antonio deputizing on the right side happened quite a lot actually in the game. So you can already see how easy it would be to develop that kind of relationship or possible maybe is the right word, not necessarily easy. It would be to develop that kind of relationship between Curtis and Bowen. The other thing when we're talking about wide combinations and building up in wide areas all the time, one of the things that has helped us a little bit to build, I'd say maybe a lot more than a little bit, and very clear in this game that it helped a lot actually, to build up out wide and be effective in doing that, was Edson Alvarez dropping between the centre-backs and allowing Zuma Renegar to get a little bit wider. That enables a much greater connectivity between those centre-backs and the fullbacks. The fullbacks maybe get the ball a little bit earlier as a result of that, um, under a little bit less pressure. I would say you know it's in the pod plan. I need to mention Luton's defensive style at this point because they weren't really up for pressing all that much, so it does make <laughs> it a lot easier for us um but yeah it, it it maybe made it a little bit easier for us to develop those play down down the down the flanks um than than we have been able to in in other games and um and one of the questions floating around has been, well if Alvarez can do it as a centre-back slash six, you know, Declan Rice was a centre-back before he was a midfielder. So why wasn't he doing it at West Ham?
1: Yeah, it's tricky. Um, I think there's obviously, uh, it's all speculation really at this point, isn't it? Because we don't know. We've not asked Moyes. We can't ask Rice. Um, But I think there probably was an element of both on the club side and, and Rice's side. I think we've, we know from interviews with Rice um, that, and and criticisms of Rice by Pundits that he felt as though he needed to add more to his game and show that he was a more complete midfielder and I think we saw that throughout particularly last season where he was obviously in taking up far more advanced positions he was no longer a six he was more of a sort of eight um, at times and that also as we've mentioned before, stifled Suchek somewhat because he didn't then have the license to get forward. And in my opinion, he's probably more of a threat for us in the final third than, than Rice was. But I think on Rice's side, there was an element of needing to show, whether it was Southgate or whether it was other clubs, that he was a more versatile midfielder than maybe his reputation had suggested at the start. Uh, and also from the club point of view, I think if you can present Declan Rice as a ready-made swiss army knife complete midfielder that can do a bit of everything his value increases massively and therefore when it does come to selling him which was always an inevitability it allows us to drive the price a lot higher than if we've just got a six um who offers far less um we're not going to recur as much of a of a fee so i think it's probably more that than it is anything else um I suppose as well, if you have Rice splitting the centre-backs, then maybe you lose some of his ball-carrying threat as well that he sort of picked up um as his West Ham career went on and particularly in the absence of having any other real ball-carriers in the side, um, at least to that level uh, of Rice. And I think there were so many times where last season we were under the caution, he just carried it 40, 50 yards <laughs> up the pitch. And I think if you have him splitting the centre-backs and doing the role that Alvarez is doing now, you lose that and probably invite a bit more pressure.
0: I think there are a couple of there are a couple of really interesting things that come off of this. I, one, I don't want to give the the board and Mois too much credit by suggesting, yeah, you know, like we wanted to to allow him to to be that Swiss Army knife guy to develop his game in, in multiple areas, which means we make more money. So last season's just a necessary evil, you know. he just don't have Rice <laughs> to do his thing, make loads of money. That's going to allow us to sign these three or four players that are going to take us to the next level, and actually, you know, we're going to be competing at the top again. I don't think <laughs> that might, might be looking back at, and and looking for too many sort of things that might confirm how we've got to, to, to where we are now. What I would say is, yeah, I think Rice's carrying was super important to us. And actually Rice's development was also super important to us. And whether those relationships are, are really clear in terms of how those things happened or not, I think it's probably a lot more murky. That's why he ended up playing the, the, the role that he did. And I think um, one of the big problems we had last season, and actually it kind of relates to the next thing we're going to talk about, of pod plan on smashed, <laughs> um, <laughs> is that when he did arrive in the final third, having done all that carrying, Rice was a bit limited for for, for us um, in terms of what he could contribute in those areas. Uh, and I say that after he scored a super important goal for for Arsenal contributing in the final third to to secure three points for them. Um, but, you know, corner's different, isn't it? Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> what in it. it whats a little bit different now is that a couple of things. So if Rice is between the centre-backs last season, the guys ahead of him are Sushek and Pacata. Now that is very different to Alvarez between between the centre-backs and Watt Prowse and Pacqueta, different kettle of fish. So that changes things a little bit, I think. Also, Emerson was not playing as well as he has been this season, uh, last season. He was having a lot of problems in terms of what he was offering defensively. He was really struggling to get back and recover after going forward. It's not something that's been a huge problem this season. That meant Cresswell was more a key part of the side last season. And that meant that maybe getting wider in build-up and having your left-back bombing on wasn't such an option because, of course, was not such a dynamic threat on that side. So there are a couple of things there. And then also from a positive standpoint with what happens now, when you're talking about advancing play down the left side and looking to play back, and we're going to talk about side Rama next, um, beforehand you were playing back into Rice, who most of the time was shooting and putting the ball over the bar. Now it's Lucas Pacatar in the half space. So does that feel a little bit different? I think that midfield blend and not only enables Alvarez to sit where he does, but it makes other players better as you've got the right people in the right areas now rather than a Rice and a Sucek. You've got Pacatar and more Prouts to be able to actually contribute in the final third in a, in a bigger way and support the forwards.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think we saw that play out against Luton and and particularly in Paquetta's case, but we've seen it with Ward-Prowse since he arrived, really. I think having both of them, I mean, even just the crossing from the half space is such a weapon for us. Whereas, on both sides? Yeah, that's what I mean. You've got a right footer on the right side who has exceptional delivery. I mean, I love Suchek, but he's not whipping balls into the box like that. And secondly, you want him in the box if you're going to be whipping balls like that. Um, and then on the Maybe left side... Maybe he
0: goes up front when Antonio... Yeah,
1: Maybe yeah. that's what happens. He's the man. Uh, and then, yeah, having having Paqueta out on that left side where he can whip balls in on his, on his preferred left foot is a different dynamic to having Rice, who obviously wants to take everything on his right foot. And it makes more sense for him to try and have a cold shot or whip a... In swinging cross into the back post rather than that that delicious ball that Paquetta floated in. Um, I think, yeah, it just, the blend is just a bit nicer. Um, It it feels less shoehorned and more bespoke, if that makes sense. Side Ben Rama, (laughs) then.
0: Always (laughs) splitting the fan base. Uh, Forever will be splitting the fan base. I tweeted after the game that I was impressed with some of the individual performances, particularly Zuma, Alvarez and Pacata. And then I watched it the second time and I went, what was I talking about? James Prowse was really good. But I said at the time as well that Ben Rama was pretty disappointing as this was the kind of game that we needed him to grab. Having a creative winger, especially when you look at what Bayern offers on the other side, is really important in this kind of game. And having someone that can contribute in the final third, as well as doing all of the good work in terms of progressing the ball, um, for us, is super, super important on that side of the pitch. I said that he was very disappointing in my first tweet. I watched it back, and I don't think he was as disappointing as I thought the first time. But when we got together before we started recording this pod you said to me yeah so si Ben Rama wasn't very good so I'm interested in in, in what you thought about his performance Carl
1: Yeah I think w- what it boils down to for me particularly against teams like Luton where uh, as we know we have uh, struggled for a long time when we get into the final third and and our ability to turn possession into like valuable shooting opportunities i think it probably speaks volumes that we've come away from a game where we've had 64% possession or something around that and still come away with less xg and six fewer shots than Luton have um and i think that is testament to the fact that we can't or we struggle at least to make things happen and i think in these systems what you need uh, when you get into these positions into the final third is you are attacking players to have exceptional decision-making. Um, and I think in the game, there was a number of times, I think off the top of my head, I can think of three occasions where Ben Rama maybe just didn't have that one second, two second pause to really assess the options around him. Uh, and instead just kind of received the ball was close enough to goal and just decided to shoot. And I think only one of his four shots actually found the target. One was a, a a shot on his weak foot that he just lifted over the bar, which was bizarre. One was a shot from the wide left that went wide of the post, but it was just such an improbable angle that he just, I don't think should have ever took the shot on anyway. Uh, And there was another moment, I think, I think it was actually when he had that left footed shot where Sufau was wide open in space on the right-hand side and there was three players in the box. If you'd have played it out to Sufau, we've got a cutback across the goal that's going to create a far more valuable opportunity in the area than a shot of less than 0.5 x 0.05 x g from ben Rama. um
0: and if you're sorry and if you're going to take it hit the target
1: you know yeah that's least, what i mean you know, yeah. at
0: least hit the target because you've got the chance it bounces off the keeper and you've got players in the box All you know don't exactly balloon it miles over the bar
1: <laughs> and i think that's it it's just that that sort of uh i don't know maybe the execution of thought and and the speed at which you need these players to think in these uh in these moments, but also the consistency, if we're going to constantly be in the final third, trying to create these chances. I think, I think that left footed shot is the, is the main one. It's like, you've just received the ball on your weak foot in the box. There's a player to your right. There's plenty of players in the box with controlling possession is the smartest decision to decide to take the shot on leaning backwards on your weak foot. No. Um, and I think that's the things that are potentially, if you were to replace Ben Rama with someone with, more elite decision making in that in those moments, I think we would be far more effective in these games where we need to dominate possession because, like I say, we've come away with less XG than than Luton, but three of those chances if Ben Rama had made the right decision rather than the wrong one, the XG story, I mean single match xg is obviously not the best barometer of anything but it does speak to the quality of the chances and decisions we were making and i think you could easily have come away with a much higher xg if if those decisions had been made differently um i think you're right to point out what he offers in sort of the second to third phase build up in terms of getting us there and that combinative play but i think ultimately our issues are in the final third and i think of the three attackers, he is the one that is the biggest negative contributor in terms of the fact that we can't seem to create as many chances as we should do, considering how much possession we have.
0: Yeah, I think the biggest issue for me, the you know, when you're talking about um, chances and, and, and maybe incorrect decisions in the final third, the biggest one for me was when Walprous got down the right and and, and squared it, and Pacheta has made the run to open all the space behind him. There's a gaping yeah. hole on the penalty spot, which all he has to do is run into and he gets a tap in. Well, not quite a tap in, but, you know, a great, a great chance. And he's just reluctant to enter the space. And he's so slow to, to attack the space that Ross Barkley gets there before him. That should never happen. Um, You know, these should be easy pickings for him. And those are the kind of goals where you really just, you want him to be getting five to 10 like that a season, you know, five, six, seven. I don't know what, you know, exactly how many, but you want him to be getting a few like that a season, arriving in the right space, um, to convert those chances and and that's the bit that he's missing um, all I would say is that I think his relationships down the left his relationships with the other two players on that left side of the pitch help us a lot given mm-hmm. how much we need to build up down that side of the pitch so even if he has problems in the final third the fact that he contributes with that is a huge part of us just getting to the final third it's a huge part of us creating chances. So people like Bowen, even if Ben Rama isn't delivering in terms of goals or actually creating chances for other people himself, sometimes what he's doing is enabling us to arrive there. He's also, he also wins set pieces at a fairly decent rate, which isn't now a lot stronger now that James will Prowse is in the squad. So there are things that he is bringing to a, to a good level. And the other thing is, it's like I was saying earlier about his dribbling. Sometimes he's really good at just making a defender stand still. And, that is going to be so much more useful now given the additional quality like we were saying in the final third with him and particularly with the midfielders arriving so I wonder if he could become a guy who maybe isn't contributing a huge amount in terms of direct assists and goals but perhaps is enabling playing and enabling a role in attacks that do lead to, to to goals the problem is he hasn't played on the left wing all that much we've already talked to him about, talked about him in this episode but When you look at what Ben Rama brings and the positives we're just talking about, receiving at a higher rate, carrying a lot, dribbling a lot, and, and and shouldering all of that responsibility. And the things he's missing are actually converting in the final third, popping up in the right spaces to score goals. Like Mo Kudus is just that guy. No, like (laughs) that that, that is the package that you get with Kudus. Someone who dribbles at an exceptionally high rate, carries the ball really well, and actually adds a hell of a lot in terms of his final third. Raw output. Um, I'm not sure how it's going to work in terms of fitting them all into the same team, but just in terms of profile, it just looks like an obvious replace and upgrade position.
1: Yeah, 100. It's it's just frustrating that if if he was right-footed, would be unreal. We'd be cooking. <laughs> um, but I think yeah, that's the only issue is that profile-wise, he is the perfect player to come in and and fix in theory at least all those issues that we've just mentioned and I think also addresses the frustration that we've had at times with Ben Rama in the sense that uh, another decision that he doesn't make as often as I would like is him just driving to the byline and doing the cutback himself whereas if you've got Kudus out on that left side he's going to be much more comfortable taking his man on the outside and doing that Um, but then what you stand to lose potentially is what Ben Rama offers in being able to drift into that half space and do things on his right foot. Um, although Kudus, I would say, is is fairly ambidextrous from what I've seen. His his preference is always going to be to take it on his stronger foot. So does that disrupt the balance in the final third and also potentially frustrate the relationship with Emerson as well because they're both going to be attacking that same space? Um we have seen Emerson make those sort of inside runs on occasion where he'll, he'll invert. So maybe there's something to be done there. Um, it's something I'd love to see. I think potentially as well in a game where, I mean, in both respects, in a game like this, I think could, is, is probably, like I say, if he was right footed, it, would be absolute shoo But I think even still, I think his decision-making in the final third is from what I've seen superior, but also in a sort of counter-attack inside, just, I think you have everything that Ben Rama offers and more, really. And like, as an outlet, just give the ball to it. I don't know, from defending a corner, somehow get it out of the box to his feet and he'll carry you pretty much the full length of the pitch. And if you've got Bowen and whoever else joining him on that attack, then I think it, it could, yeah, it's a really dangerous counter-attacking yeah. outfit. So I'm pretty excited to see how he is integrated. It's a real big question mark at the minute, but there's there's no doubts arou- around his ability. So it should be fun regardless.
0: Last thing, centre-backs. We've talked about them both a little bit. Let's talk about the, the big positive first. Kurt Zuma. wow, were we well. The last two games, what what a player we've got there. <laughs> we knew it. We knew it. But now that we're kind of so good at forcing teams to attack in the way that we want them to, got to say, you know, Luton are kind of going to do that anyway. So that helps. But... um. Defending the box, defending long balls. He's outrageously good at that stuff, isn't he?
1: Yeah, yeah. I just had a really bizarre <laughs> image. If there's anyone that works for a newspaper listening, feel free to take this. But how about an image of Captain Kirk from Star Trek, but with Kurt's face on it? Captain Kurt? <laughs> because he's come in and he has taken the team by storm. Oh, I'm proud of that one. Um, but yeah, no, he's been immense. I think aerially, he's just been incredibly dominant this year um I've been super impressed and it's like we said on previous episodes it's it he's such an enabler in this type of football like you if you're gonna commit to defending the box and yeah we didn't we didn't have to do maybe as much of it uh as in previous games but I mean Luton that was their biggest threat was was Ryan Giles's delivery from the left who I thought actually looked pretty tasty when he did get on the board to be fair to him um his crossing was excellent um And I think having someone like that in there, defending those aerial balls is absolutely integral. Uh, And I thought in possession, he was just so secure as well. I think he only misplaced five passes, I want to say, out of 65, I think, um, 92% success. So just, uh, yeah, everything you want, really. And then obviously we all know how good he is on the deck defensively. Like positionally, he's great. In jewels he's great. So. Yeah, I think there's been discussions about who should be the permanent captain. And I think for me, the way that Kurt Zuma has started this season, I think it only makes sense to give him the armband, really. Um, He's led by example and that's a surefire way to keep him happy as well. What about the guy next to him? Oh, don't make (laughs) me do this. Um, Yeah, yeah. Disappointing. I mean, aerially... I think in my in my show notes, I've, I've just I'd written down how much it looked like he was struggling defending that back post um, from from those crosses. I think Anderson obviously looked like a threat whenever he was in there, but even um, Morris and Adebayo as well seemed to be doing a bit of a causing him a bit of a problem. Um, and we've seen it earlier in the season as well with how he struggled with um, Solanke and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, it was disappointing. I think it's almost like. I suppose there's an element of yin Yang to and a nice balance in that Agurd's distribution and ability in terms of what he offers in progression is a huge positive. I think he completed eight of ten long passes um, from deep areas against Luton, uh, the obvious one being that absolutely delightful switch into Bowen's feet who just took it down and instantly were in the final third ready to attack. So that as a sort of deep unlocker is a real positive, um, particularly like you say, if we're going to try and involve our right-hand side a bit more, if he can continue hitting those switches, whether it's into Bowen, whether it's into foul and advanced positions, that's a real positive. But it's probably more important that he needs to reach the levels of Zuma, especially if we're going to continue to invite crosses. We can't have that as a weakness because, A, it's easily exploited, and B, if we're picking up on it on a podcast, opposition analysts are going to be going, right. It's the same thing as what people used to do with Trent at the back post, right? They'd just whip crosses into Trent, who'd get caught under the flight of the ball, and then the amount of goals that Liverpool conceded there. If a Gerd keeps up this form where he's only winning, what, less than 35% of his aerial jewels for someone of his frame and stature, um, yeah, it, it's it's not it's not good enough, really.
0: It's a little bit concerning. It's a little bit concerning because it's a couple of times this season. It happened more than a few times last season. He's a good player, I wasn't mm. expecting, I, I wasn't expecting aerial jewels to be the thing that, that, that got to him in the prem, but it consistently seems to be, um, a problem, particularly from crosses, which is such an important thing. Like you say, when you're playing at West Ham and the way that we defend and a perfect example being, you know, the cross that comes in into the, into the corridor between him and Areola doesn't help. I mean, Areola, I don't think helps on this stuff anyway, because he's not as assertive as Fabianski was. um, But he lets it bounce once, and then he lets it bounce across his body. And it's like, well, you've seen it coming. You can just clear yeah. it at this point. You know it's your responsibility. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's that slight indecision. And then, yeah, like you say, getting beaten on just straight long balls by, by Morris a few times in the game. Is, no, don't do that. <laughs> you can't do that when we defend this way. Um, So, yeah, well, I suppose we'll have to just... Watch how it develops and hope that that he continues to improve, um, or or improves just full stop, um, in that position. What I would say is, that is a real positive is the relationship that he seems to have with Kurt is really strong. They seem to get on really well with each other, and um, and that's going to be a big part of us having a having a successful season. If if Kurt can stay fit and and Naiif can too, and they and they get to play a really extended run of games together then um, hopefully they can build on that relationship and and, and a good can tighten up on some of the errors we've seen so far this season. We, we're going to split this episode a little bit because we, we've got another one, obviously, over the international break to talk about everything that's happened so far and, and probably go into a little bit more depth on on some of the things that came out of this game and look forward, obviously, to games that are coming. Um, so that's it for now, a little bit shorter than, than normal. Um Thank you for listening. If you want to support the podcast, uh, please head over to analyticsunited.co.uk forward slash members and set up a membership. Um, It will entitle you to being a legend and supporting the pod (laughs) and some (laughs) occasional work from from Cal and I. Um, But yes, um, cheers for listening. Uh, Thanks, Cal.
1: Pleasure as always.
0: We'll catch you all in, in, in probably just over a week's time. Podcast Network.